Our scripture this morning comes from two different passages. The first is Romans 5, 1 through 5. And it reads, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And our other reading comes from John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. May God bless to our hearing and to our understanding these words of scripture. We sing the words every Sunday. Creator, Christ, and Spirit, one. And glory to the Creator, the Christ, the Holy Spirit, three in one. You might also be familiar with the more traditional Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Three in one, the mystery math equation of the Christian church. God is three and yet one. Today is Trinity Sunday, which is a little bit strange. The Reverend James Howell writes, if the Trinity is a thing, if the Trinity is the thing, then all texts are Trinitarian. All Sundays are Trinity Sunday. But in our liturgical calendar, today especially highlights the Trinity, the three persons of God as they are present to humanity, completed with the arrival of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, which we celebrated last Sunday. Howell goes on to say in his preaching blog that in preaching, to attempt an intellectual explanation of the Trinity is a mistake. He says, save it for the classroom. And as our Confirmation for Adults devotional group can attest to you all, even in the classroom, trying to nail down an understanding of the Trinity is head-spinning. For those of you who were there, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most of us might have left that very first class more confused than we arrived. We don't have to analyze or try to understand the mystery of who God is today. As humans, we could spend a lifetime doing that, and many have. Our task today is different, Howell says. In the liturgy, in sacred space, 
we don't disentangle, analyze, and explain the Trinity. We worship. We listen. We join that holy circle. We let the Trinity speak for itself. So let's do that. We'll let the Trinity speak for itself. If we look at today's readings, they give us a glimpse of the Trinity speaking for itself, about itself. In our passage from John, Jesus begins these lines to his disciples by telling them that there is more information for them to know, but they can't handle it now. He promises the coming of the Holy Spirit, which will guide them into all truth, continuing and completing the educational process that Jesus himself has begun. But the Pentecost story shows us this education is of a very different style than Jesus' teaching. The coming of the Holy Spirit is quite literally a baptism by fire, a transformative presence that immediately endows the disciples with the ability to speak and be understood by all those around them, creating a commotion so chaotic that the observers think that the crowd must be drunk. This moment marks the beginning of the disciples' public ministry distinct from their time following Jesus, because they are now being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do their own preaching in God's name. What is the difference, do you think, between the disciples' ability before, when they were with Jesus and they could not yet bear what else they needed to know, and now, when they have received the Holy Spirit and are ready for being guided into all truth? A lot has happened in that intervening time. The apostles have gone through a thoroughly traumatic experience together. They have watched their teacher and dear friend be arrested, executed, and laid to rest. They have hidden for their lives, fearful of similar fates. They have witnessed or been told of their friend's resurrection, once again unmistakably alive and yet different than they knew him. And then they have been told to wait unaccompanied by Jesus, for some future time and the coming of God in a way that they have not yet known. This kind of grief and horror, this experience changes people. Paul knows this, and it is that that he reflects on in his letter to the Romans in the passage we just read. Maybe, probably likely, the disciples' sufferings did produce some endurance, character, and hope. But honestly, I don't think that suffering for the sake of building character is what Jesus had in mind. In an examination of this John passage, Elizabeth Evans writes about her experience working as a victim advocate, about how terrifying it was to begin her work after her training, feeling like she wasn't yet fully prepared. Have you ever felt this way? I know I did when I began working in my clinical pastoral education experience as a hospital chaplain last summer. We had weeks of introductory lessons and practice with supervised visits, asking and answering questions about everything that might come up. But eventually there was a night where each of us just had to be on our own, on call, ready to face whatever arose. There was no way to learn everything or to be prepared for everything because some things have to be learned through doing. 
And if we're being honest, it's not just in ministry. I felt this way too when I worked as a restaurant hostess years ago and had my first Friday night dinner rush on my own. Think about the things that you might have done in your life that you couldn't fully understand or learn until you actually did them. It is this experience that Evans reflects on relating to this passage. She says, quote, Perhaps this is what Jesus meant when he tells his disciples they cannot bear what he still has to tell them. It's not that he has finished teaching them or that there is nothing left to reveal to them, nor is it that he considers them too faint of heart to handle what's to come. It's that the things Jesus has left to share will only make sense in the future when they face new challenges in real time. And it is that the power and excitement of experiential learning that defines the Holy Spirit identity of God. We often forget about the Holy Spirit in our faith lives, or if we do name it, it's sort of this amorphous, blurry, Star Wars force-like presence that we say is around, but we don't really know how to identify it or how to talk about it. We know how to talk about God as parent, as creator, as a being acting and intervening in the world. And we know how to talk about Jesus, because he lived as close to us as possible, taking on a body and a life like ours. Even our scriptures seem to privilege the first two parts of the Trinity. The Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, is a story of a loving, creating God, and that God's relationship with their their created people. The New Testament is a story of Jesus and the people who dedicated their lives to preaching about him. Where's the third testament? Sure, the Holy Spirit is present throughout the book of Acts and is referenced in the letters of the earliest church leaders, but Jesus is still overwhelmingly the star of the New Testament. But if the Holy Spirit is the teacher of those things that we can learn only by doing, the experience of God that cannot be explained but must be felt and acted upon, what if the testament of the Holy Spirit is not written but is lived? What if we, beginning with the actions of Peter, James, Paul, and Lydia, through generations of church fathers and theologians and mystics and reformers, down to the disciples of First Church Congregational in Fairfield, we are living out the Holy Spirit's chapters. As the UCC motto proclaims, God is still speaking. But with God, sometimes that speaking looks less like speech and more like action. We cannot complete the learning, the revelation, and the mission of God if all we ever do is think and study and listen. We cannot be brought into the fullness of who God is unless we are willing to learn by doing. The gifts of the Holy Spirit to the early church would have been invisible to all if they did not put them to use. What good is the gift of communication, speaking in tongues for all to understand, if you don't reach out and speak with another person? What good is the knowledge of language if it is never spoken, tried out, used incorrectly, and improved upon? Why learn to speak if we do not try to make connections across the lines that divide us? We can sit and study grammar and learn vocabulary all we want, but the fulfillment of the gift is found in its ability to connect. 
Evans goes on in her reflection to talk about the various challenges the church faces in the world today, and there are many. We all know that. We can see so many of them before our very eyes. People living in poverty and unable to make ends meet. Families fleeing violence and persecution, hoping for a new start here in the United States. The pernicious effects of the continuing legacy of racism and white supremacy. The relentless stream of mass shootings and other unreported gun violence, affecting all of our nation, including our most innocent and vulnerable. It can feel daunting, like we are helpless to do anything. But we are not helpless. We can do more than just hope and pray. We can act and have a real impact. And I know you all know that, because you have seen it in the work that you do here. We know what we are called to do, and we have the collective energy to do it if we're willing to step into the uncertainty and trust that we will figure it out. God will teach us as we go along. Evans says, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we already have all we need to respond to the current needs of the world. We've already learned all we can learn before it's time to act, and we are not acting alone. This is the meaning of the church as community. We're never acting alone. But the point is that we do act. Our worshiping community is not the entirety of the church. It is the hub from which we are sent out into the world and to which we return to be rejuvenated and refilled. The community which embarks together on new missions of experiential learning, never feeling fully prepared, but trusting that the Holy Spirit will lead the way and that in the end, we will be guided into all truth as Jesus promised. We cannot wait for more instruction. Our faith is made evident in our action. It is in acting with the guidance of the Holy Spirit that we continue in relationship to the grand, eternal love that is God. Abraham and Moses and the prophets lived their testament of God through the experience of Israel's history, its trials and its successes. Peter, James, and John lived their testament of God through following Jesus and learning all that they could from his teachings. We live ours when we trust that those teachings and the power of the Holy Spirit are continually revealed and made new to us when we act for justice, for peace, and for love. So you too become the characters in the Holy Spirit's story joining in the overflowing love and beauty of the Trinity, knowing that you have all the preparation you can. All that is left is to go forth and act. May it be so. Amen.